Have you ever felt like if life is bad, God can't be good? Like he can do anything. So then why hasn't he done something? Why did he allow this bad thing to happen? Well, if you've been thrown a curveball, if you have gotten bad news, if you are facing something that leaves you a little disappointed or disheartened, good news. Today we're tackling that. I am teaming up with my husband, Tyler Anderson. My name's Heidi Lee Anderson, and we're going to demolish that lie. We're going to pick up the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, because the good news about our good God is that even when life looks bad, he gets the final word. And P.S., it's going to be good. Here's the deal. On any given day, we think 50,000 to 80,000 thoughts. But get this, of those, let's say 50,000, 98% of them are the same ones from yesterday, which means we just keep thinking the same stuff over and over and over again, which is great if it's all true, all encouraging, lovely, praiseworthy. But with the father of the lies on the loose, out to steal your hope, kill your peace, and destroy your faith, my guess is they're not. I know you because I know me. Hi, I'm Heidi Lee Anderson, Christian author, cancer survivor, and social media content creator. And in every episode of the Trade a Lie for a Truth podcast, we're camping out on one thought and picking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to follow the voice of truth above all else. His name is Jesus. Because in his words, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You ready? Let's seize the free abundant life in Christ one thought at a time starting with this episode. Okay, to kick off this first episode, what is really fun is I get to do this with my husband, Ty. Ty, say hey to everyone. Hey, good to see you guys. <laughs> they can't, some of them can't see us. <laughs> okay, next time Ty's going to join me, we're going to hear more from his story. I'm going to ask him questions, but he's going to ask me questions for this first one so you guys can get to know my story. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you aren't. I just think this is a good way to start off and really tackle the lie that I have had to battle myself, and that's that if life isn't good, then God can't be good. And so we're going to demolish that. We're going to pick up the sword of the spirit and we are going to get to work on that lie throughout this episode so we can trade it for the truth that even if life is bad, God is still good and we will see it with our own eyes. Every episode, Heidi's going to play two truths and a lie with her guests. So they'll come and bring three items and you have to choose which one is the lie. Okay. So I had a really tough time thinking of my three statements because it's like Ty knows everything about me. How, how am I going to stump him. Here we go. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Number one, I am a phenomenal driver. Objective. Number two, I am a phenomenal cook. Okay. Okay. Three, I am a phenomenal wife. You are a phenomenal wife. Oh, thank you. The driving is really aggressive. Subjective. Yeah, Elias driving. No, I am a, I am a terrible cook. <laughs> What? No, I am a phenomenal driver. Okay. I don't know if you know how to play this game. I stumped you. I did. I stumped you. So let's hear from you, Heidi. A lot of your listeners know some of your story, but they don't know all the way back. Give us a little bit of a glimpse of what your upbringing was like. Okay. So actually me and Ty's family of origin is super similar, but I grew up in a family where both parents 
just love the Lord. And I always think that is the biggest blessing. I think sometimes people can be like, oh, I have such a boring testimony, right? Because I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was four. I mean, that was my story. But what I love about that is that actually shows that God's grace covered my life at such an early age. And that's what us parents want, right? Like we're raising these kids and that's our prayer. We want them to know Jesus as early as possible. And so I, I see that as a gift. And I love that part of my testimony that me and my brother, we had gone to Sunday school. We had heard the story of Jesus dying on the cross for us and that we can receive his free gift of salvation. And later that night when we're in our bunks, we're like, man, I kind of want that. And so we called down mom and dad. We prayed the prayer with them and it's been growing in faith with him ever since. All right. So then fast forward a little bit. You went to Northwestern in Roseville, Minnesota here, and then you start working at the church. Bring us to how did you get to Eagle Brook? Okay. So that's a great question. I was a really good interviewer. You should join me on more episodes. But so I was a marketing major in college and I loved it. I loved giving speeches. I loved thinking creatively on different projects. Our family, we were all business majors, but I can't do finance. I can't do accounting. It's like, don't give me the numbers. But marketing is that creative aspect, right? You get to exercise that creative muscle a little bit more while still being in the marketplace. But I will always remember that last semester, I had traveled to different corporations and an assignment in our class was we did that and we chose a company and we presented some marketing strategies to their board of directors. And we went to places like Target Corporate, Best Buy. We went to Caribou Coffee, which if you've never been in the Midwest is like the land overflowing with milk and honey. That's the milk. That's the honey. And I just remember sitting in class after that being like, man, all these businesses are so cutthroat and bottom line driven. And I am too frail. It's like, Lauren, I don't belong in any of these spots. Good friend of mine graduated a year ahead of me and she worked at Eagle Brook Church here in Minnesota and they were building a new campus and they had said to her, we just want to hire someone exactly like you. And we are very similar. So I went through the interview process and it was such a surprise. I was so grateful to land a job before finals week and it was in kids ministry. And I just never saw myself there. Even my parents were like, you hated babysitting growing up. And that is the truth. But when I was there, part of that job is you got to teach Bible stories in front of hundreds of kids every weekend. And you memorize these scripts. And as I told these stories that I was really familiar with, these kids sometimes, it was the first time they had heard it. And when they looked up at me with those eyes that were like as big as saucepans, like what? David beats down a giant with just a sling and a stone? Or Jesus actually walked on water and called his disciple a walkout with him? I'm like, man, this this is what I'm made for. I, w- I want to teach God's word because I mean, that's where truth is found, right? That's where freedom is found. That's where his power, that's how he speaks to us today. And I got to witness that firsthand and how he used me in that way. And I thought, I don't know what it looks like, but I do know teaching the word of God is what I want to do forever. Living life is scary sometimes, especially when you're in your college or early 20s and you don't know what's next. But it's so cool to be able to look back even now, 10, 15, 20 years, wherever you're at and be like, wow. I was a marketing major. I didn't know what that was going to translate into and how God was going to use that. But that's just an amazing stepping stone to think you might actually be in the business world and then get drawn into the church. And then it launches this ministry that you've been working on at Eagle Brook and other churches and then beyond online. God works in really cool ways. Yeah. So then you're at Eagle Brook and this gets a little bit into our story of how we met. Yeah. Eagle Brook was a church that was about 30 miles or so south of where I was living and going to church 
church. I was going to church further north, so I knew of Eagle Brook a little bit. Talk about, you know, you're at Eagle Brook a couple of years, and then you notice some things that might be a little off. Yeah, so I felt a lump on my neck. I had talked with my mom, my nurse friends, and they're like, yeah, you know, sometimes people just get enlarged lymph nodes because of colds and things like that. So I just stayed mindful of it. But then I, around Thanksgiving, Christmas time, I felt a second lump near my collarbone. So that's when I scheduled a doctor appointment. And it wasn't until the beginning of the year that I was able to get in. And after just so many tests and, and days of waiting, I will always remember sitting on that white crinkly paper and looking over at the doctor who told me, you have Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I brought my mom to the appointment because I mean, don't all 20 year olds bring your mom everywhere you go. <laughs> like 35, I should stop, right? Just, it's just tight. Anyways, I will always remember looking at her saying, what, what even is that? Because without any family history of cancer or really any disease whatsoever, I mean, those kind of titles just went over my head. And she looked over at me and and she said, that's cancer in your lymph nodes. And it was just like a sucker punch in the gut. And I I got whisked off to a scheduling assistant after that to try to set up an appointment with an oncologist. And the next available appointment anywhere wasn't for another three weeks. Three weeks without knowing what that looked like, what it even meant. What did treatment look like? What, what are even my chances of making it out of this? As I walked out, I will always remember too, the sky was just this bright blue sky. It was such a beautiful day in January. And I walked straight to my mom's car. I sat in the front seat and I looked up at the sky desperately needing a savior. And I mean, I knew Jesus as my Lord and savior. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I'm talking about a situation where it is so far out of your control and there's nothing you can do to fix it. And you know, you need help beyond yourself. You know, you need a savior bigger than yourself. And I was there where there was nothing I could do. And it looked terribly grim. And I was so disappointed and disheartened. And I wondered, where are you, God? Because I, I know who you are and I know you hold all power. But then why in the world did you allow this really bad thing? And as I sat in those three weeks and I waited to meet with an oncologist and, you know, waited for that confirmation of the biopsy to tell what stage of the cancer it was, I thought, you know what? I'm going to pray and just ask Jesus to heal this because isn't that what he did in scripture? Where all you did is seek Jesus out and he healed you. Like, oh, you are healed. Your faith has made you well. And I thought, wouldn't that be so cool that they do the biopsy? and they won't even find a trace of cancer. I hoped for that. I prayed for that. When I sat with the oncologist those three weeks later, he did look over at me and he said, you do in fact have Hodgkin's lymphoma in stage two. And at that point, if it was stage three, it would have only been chemotherapy, but with stage two, they could target it a little more particularly. And so it would be radiation on top of it. So he projected six months of chemo and six weeks of radiation. And in that appointment, they walk you through all sorts of symptoms, right? So he started off with just, just the short term, like loss of muscle movement in my neck or chemotherapy would attack my ovaries. And I probably Probably wouldn't be able to have kids, he said. Probably best to come to terms with that. They even sent me to a fertility clinic after in case I wanted to spend the thousands to store my eggs. But then he went on to the long-term symptoms and he said, radiation to the chest, a common second cancer of that is breast cancer and can come in your in your 30s, which now being 35, that hits a little more closer to home. And then he went on to say one of the chemotherapy drugs we give you, that actually could attack your heart and it could result in a cardiac arrest or a heart failure in, in your 40s. And it just went on and on and on. And I just looked down at that list and looked up at him like, excuse me, 
how in the world am I supposed to live, laugh, love with conditions like that always hanging over my head? Like, how am I supposed to live my life with this dark gloom, what if, worst case, just plaguing risks up in front of me? And it, I really, I really had to wrestle with that. I really still have to wrestle with that. That was just really hard sitting down and, and hearing all of those things projected into my future. And I had the choice. Will I believe what this doctor, that what he's saying is the final word? And will I listen to these things as if they will happen? Or like it says in Philippians, that I can focus on whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. And that's a challenge for me daily. Will I focus on those things projected into my future even still? Or will I trade it for the truth and think on that? Because God tells me I don't actually have to think on any of those things. I'm relieved of that. I can think on today and what he's given me and be grateful for that. In that time though, how hard was that? Was that a decision you made right away? This is the path. This is the the mindset I'm going to have. Was that a daily, a constant battle? Yeah. I feel like Ty knows I still struggle with it. In fact, and you know, it's all God's timing, right? But very soon after my diagnosis, my pastor gave a message titled Suffering Well, and it was right for me. It was delivered straight to me. And he talked about how men and women in the Bible didn't just have it easy. In fact, they had it really hard. They faced hard and very scary circumstances. I mean, if you think of it, Daniel was thrown in a den full of hungry lions. That's kind of not so easy, right? And Paul was thrown into prison multiple times. The early church faced real persecution, but we don't read Daniel focusing on the roaring of the lions. Paul doesn't stare helplessly around the bricks in his prison cell. And it says in Acts 2, the early church actually never gave up praying with zeal. And so he said, we will be thrown trials. Jesus himself told us, right, that in this world we will have trouble. But what's the second part of that verse? It said, we can take heart because he has already overcome. And his whole challenge to that message was, you have the option. You can suffer well. And I remember thinking, okay, if I have to face cancer, then I want to suffer well. I don't want to live in a way that makes the enemy delighted. I want to live in a way that makes my God delighted. Was there a particular psalm that you liked? He set me up so good. He knows me so good. But Psalm 91 was my anthem. And there's a part that actually I want to pull up because I loved it all. I especially love in the beginning the imagery that you get when you are hidden in God's shadow. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I always think of a little kid hiding behind their dad, right? In the face of a bully. And it's like, that's what God does. He's our defender. But I love that, that I can stand behind my father in his shadow and he will take care of me. But if you scroll all the way down, I just love the last three verses where the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. And we don't know. It doesn't say in scripture how God will rescue us. It doesn't say how he will answer, but he says, I will. And so no matter what we face, it says, when they call on me, I will answer. And we can call on the name of the Lord and wait expectantly, like it says in the Psalms, not wait impatiently, not wait doubtfully. We can wait expectantly that my God is going to show up. I'm not sure how, but he loves me and he's going to rescue me. I think Christian specifically, we take to, you know, this is my plight. 
I'm going to suffer through this. But you chose to take the word of God and fight back. Was there anything in your life before that that you were using as an outlet to teaching people essentially what you're doing here in the podcast of these are a bunch of lies that were being fed by the enemy and we don't have to believe it. In fact, we've got truth over here that we need to stake hold to and cling to that instead. Yeah, yeah. So that was my that was my first writing really experience. I remember when a professor reached out to my mom, I started a blog called Dear Mr. Hodgkins and it's still on the World Wide Web if you want to search it. But after I wrote my post, it would be like a letter. I'd say, Dear Mr. Hodgkins. And then I'd write some sort of update, whatever was going on. And then I always shared either a song I was listening to or a Bible story I was reading or a certain quote from a sermon that really spoke to me. And I would end that like, you know what, Mr. Hodgkins, this is what you're doing to me, but this is what my Lord says. And this is what I declare. And then I'd sign my name from Heidi. And I remember when I hit my first post and my marketing professor who knew my parents, they were good college friends, but he reached out to them and said, where in the world did that come from? That was a pretty cool thing because working at a church of thousands, I kept getting mauled with questions like, how's it going? And it started to get a little overwhelming. So that's why I started it. But what was really cool is people started sharing it. And it got to the point where thousands upon thousands would share just a singular blog post for people from all over. I will remember a friend in South Dakota in her small group, someone's like, pray for this girl named Heidi. And she's like, wait a second, I grew up with Heidi. Are you serious? I always think of how James says every good and perfect gift comes from God. And as I was going throughout treatment, it was actually right at the halfway point. He soon found out I was doing really well and not just like on track as they planned well, but like plans needed to change well. And he found out my body was responding so well, they cut my treatment in half. So chemotherapy, I, I was done with and I could just dive straight into radiation. And man, if you know the effects that chemo does on a body, that is a huge answer to prayer and does not happen all that frequently. That treatment is cut in half. And I always attribute that to a gift from God, right? That it was God's people praying in a way that I have never experienced. It's honestly at that point that it they showed me the power of prayer. I think before I knew prayer was a way to communicate with God, but I actually didn't know the power of prayer before that. I think I just knew to thank God for what I had and to talk to him about my day, but to actually ask for the impossible, I did not do that before. And so that really changed me. And I always pause at this point in my story because I understand this isn't everybody's story. I'm not going to be the one that says, if you just had the faith that you would have been healed. I had plenty of people actually tell me that, that if I would have had the faith, I would have prayed that and I wouldn't have even had it, you know, as if I didn't do that. So I hear me clear when I'm saying, I'm not saying that to you. If you're on the other end of this and you're like, must be nice for you feeling guilty. Like you don't have enough faith. I will never say that to you. I will always go back to though, that man and John, he was blind and the disciples pointed at him and they asked Jesus, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it his sins? Was it his parents' sins? And Jesus cleared it right up. He's like, no, it wasn't his sin. It wasn't his parents' sin. And he said, this happened. So the power of God could be seen in him. And so that that tells me that sometimes God allows things and it's definitely not punishment. He didn't say with this man that he was born blind for anything he did. It was, it's not for a lack of faith either. We see that it was actually an opportunity for God's power to be on display. And that's what I saw through, through that cancer journey of mine, that when I put Jesus on display, and I, again, this is in my book, it's one of my favorite chapters. I talk about it all the time, but it's Shadrach, Meshach, and 
Abednego, that when you look at that story, three men went into that fire, three men went out. It was only in the fire when the king could see Jesus. And sometimes when it all goes up in flames in our own lives and we are standing in the midst, we wanted the miracle to happen before the fire, but now we are consumed by the flames. That is when the king could see Jesus. And sometimes in the middle of the hard times, when we hold on to faith that our God is going to come through, again, we don't know how, but we do know he will. That's when maybe other people that are watching, maybe they see Jesus then too. And who knows, maybe that was the whole point after all, right? So out of all this, what are the three best things that came out? Because a future episode, you're going to go through specifically how this brought us together. But I think right now I'd rather focus on this launched essentially what you call your ministry now in a lot of ways that you didn't have before. True. I do remember my brother and I were sitting around our kitchen table one day and we were both like, wouldn't it be so awesome to be a speaker? Like that would just be so fun. But he said, doesn't it seem like though every speaker had something really catastrophic happen? Like something really bad and that's their message and we both look at each other like yeah we don't want that <laughs> never mind don't sign me up for that and so I mean yeah you fast forward to now with PS it's going to be good literally that book is a compilation of the last 10 years the questions that I have asked since that diagnosis like what if the worst case does happen what do I do when God feels silent what if my reality doesn't line up with God's promises each of those questions are a different chapter and that's because I asked those things myself but then when I sought God when I opened up my Bible I love and Jeremiah and another place in Proverbs where it's like, if you seek me, you will find me. When we open up God's word and we want to know God, he's not mysterious. He's not sitting back far off, distant, peace sign, like hope it goes good down there. No, he will meet us there in those pages. And then when God showed me these truths, the last 10 years, the reassurance, the encouragement, I bundled it all together and P.S. it's going to be good to hopefully help someone else, right? Second Corinthians tells us right away in the first chapter that the God of all comfort comforts us and it is for us. Yes, but he is so good that is not just for us. It says that we need to turn right around and extend that same comfort to others so that that same comfort we've gotten from God, we get to pass along to others. There is someone today that has been told bad news. They have been thrown a curveball that they were not expecting. They are being hit hard with something that they didn't choose and they certainly didn't want. And those are the people that I show up for. Those are the people when I hop on Instagram, those are the reels that I want them to get on your feed because the God of all encouragement is so good. And I think sometimes we just need to remind ourselves and each other of that when we're facing really, really hard things. So how do you battle that now? I would just want people to know it's not a, a one and done. People say, wow, you know, you live with so much faith. Well, that comes because it needs to be active. You seem to get bombarded with different ideas from Satan all the time. And so the whole idea of this podcast and that book, but especially this podcast and beyond, how do you use what you're teaching here, promoting there are lies and truths to overcome that daily? Yes, I love that because that is what the podcast is all about. Because these are lies that I have been whispered to, right? And maybe you have too, where it's like, man, if life is bad, how can God be good? How can he be good if he allowed this bad thing to happen? And that's the focus of this episode. But every episode is a different lie. And the beautiful thing about our God is he doesn't just leave us to fend for ourselves like, oh, okay, yeah, I hope you figure it out. No, in his word, we can open it up and we can combat it with his word, with the promises he's given us. And so that's what I'm super excited in this podcast. We're going to demolish these lies because it's the truth that sets us free. That's what Jesus said in John, that it's only when you know the truth that you are 
set free. And so it is imperative that we know the truth because there is this free abundant life that Jesus has given us and we can seize it. We can claim it. We can rest in it every day, but it is our choice. And so I am so excited that you're joining us today and I hope you join us in the episodes following as we trade lies for truth. And today I hope you realize that instead of thinking life is bad, then God can't be good, that we can instead trade that for the truth that even if life looks bad, God is still good and we're going to live to see it, right? Psalm 23 says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The land of the living is today. That is here and now. And so we can wait expectantly for Jesus to show himself strong on our behalf. Every day. Every day. All right. To end every episode, we do a lightning round of quick hitting questions. Find out a little bit more about our guest. Today's guest being Heidi Lee Anderson of Heidi Lee Anderson Ministries. Heidi Lee Anderson on Instagram and this mother hen. All right. First question. Who do you say Jesus? Don't do that one. I knew you were going to do that one. This is an awkward. Lord and Savior. I say he is my Lord. Lord, lunatic, or liar? He is Lord. Okay, thanks. So then uh, no tattoos? No tattoos. If you were to get a tattoo, what would you get? Any ideas? If it wasn't so permanent, whatever, what would you get? <laughs> or completely opposed? I'm completely opposed. <laughs> Never. I just don't like it. I think I just don't like the same thing. And I also don't like stuff on my body. Like I even do minimal jewelry. I just, ugh, I don't like the thought. How of opposed are you if your husband got one or your kids? Would you be mad if your kids got one? <laughs> this is where my uh, conservative Baptist roots come out. Yeah. Okay. No comment, but if you're watching on YouTube, you might be able to see my answer on my face. All right. So in the plagues, the 10 plagues, which of the plagues would have thrown you overboard? For sure. The, the boils, right? The boils. The boils. Can you imagine scratchy all over and just... You could deal with the frogs, the gnats you could deal with. Mm. Losing your firstborn. <laughs> well, that doesn't come till the end. I wouldn't have made it that far. Come on. These All are right. tough. All right. What's your favorite worship song currently? We just listened to Christmas music for eight straight weeks, but do you have one where it gets played at church and you're just in it? I don't know if it gets played at my church. So, um, worship leader, if you're listening, please add this to your rotation. But I would say really anything by Patrick May Mayberry, but Good Shepherd. Lean on, Good Shepherd, lean on. Uh, favorite day of the week? It's not. It's not a Christian rapid fire. Could have said Sunday or Wednesday night. Okay. <laughs> What percent of Sundays are you on time for church? Really going to show how bad we are. I mean, are on time, like 5%, would you say? Oh, no, no, no. I think it's 50. 50? I think it's 50. I'm counting in the door, like not in our seat because we have to drop off the kids. We're in church by 9 o'clock. Wow, I think that's generous. But yeah, okay, I'll go with that. That makes us sound better. I'm, I've been keeping track. We're pretty close to 50%. All right, so last question then. Would you rather serve in the nursery? The actual nursery, one and under, every service for a month. Let's make it two months. Every service for two months or sing a solo during the worship set. Just you. <laughs> he knows babies are like not my thing. I'm going to go with the solo. You would sing? I would sing. Didn't did you just hear me sing Lead on Good Shepherd? Yeah, that was good. All right. Well, with that, thank you guys so much for joining us. And Ty's going to come back in a month. He's going to be my permanent guest every month. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time. All right. Love you.